0: Well, we live in the Bible Belt, and so you may have been asked somewhere in your span of time here, are you a believer? It's kind of a universal uh, Christian question in the Bible Belt, and it's one that anybody who claims to be a Christian would agree with. Now, the typical concept, as you may know, if you're asked, are you a believer, is simply that you accept Christ as your savior, savior and believe that he died for you. Uh, my kids, when they were younger and first revealed to their classmates that they did not keep Christmas, uh, got very concerned questions along these lines. Well, you don't keep Christmas, are you a believer? They couldn't conceive of not keeping Christmas, uh, but still believing in Christ. Now, as I said, many will agree with that question yes I'm a believer I believe in Christ I believe that he died for me but after that where does it go what are you a believer of and those beliefs can be diverse and widely varied so obviously I'm speaking to all of you today and I if I were to ask you in our context are you a believer uh, what comes to mind may seem to be a strange question to ask you and maybe your first response is a a binary response you know binary is a one or a zero a yes or a no Uh, so you may say well of course I'm a believer I'm sitting here today I'm baptized I'm called Uh, if I wasn't a believer I wouldn't be here but when we talk about belief isn't belief more than that and we can begin to expand on the idea of belief and ask, well, what do you believe? If I had each of you put together a list that was complete of your beliefs, even if we had an identical list among us, would we all believe at the same level? And you know, We know as church members, if you've had any time in the church, that belief has breadth and it has depth. And there's more to belief than what you can see at the surface. I remember often making the mistake. I try not to <laughs> anymore. But I remember often making the mistake after going through a trial and having one particular uh, belief or thing that I needed to learn come into focus. And I thought, especially when I was younger, okay, now I've got it. I've got this thing. It's uh, It's done. As I've gotten older, I've tempered that tremendously, Uh, and I say, uh, okay, I'm learning, and there may be a lot more to go. Uh, There may be a lot more depth. So there's a lot more to the question, are you a believer? And I would like to look in the message today deeper into the subject of belief. I'm going to cover this as a survey, so we're going to cover a fair amount of material and not go real deep on one particular item, so that's, that's really what a survey class or a survey coverage is. It's covering a lot of material. So first of all, as we uh, look at the subject of belief and our beliefs, we know that starting at birth, we start as a blank slate, and from that point onward, we are consumers of information throughout our life. And we gather all kinds of things passively or actively, consciously or unconsciously. And as children, our parents have a very strong effect on what we believe and what we hold to. And they also have a strong impact on what we're consuming. So as we look at the subject of belief, where I'd like to start, at least the first point is, are we digging? Are we digging? What are we consuming? because these are the things that affect our belief. We live in an age of sound bites, internet browsing, sidebars, and it really caters to and trains us to have short attention spans as if we don't already have that problem. Uh, How determined are you to give time to research, to reading, I remember a quote from a, a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, and the comment was made in the book that even Ivy League professors were admitting to the fact that they aren't reading books from cover to cover anymore. They browse through them, uh, just like we do when we look at the Internet. If you've never studied Internet formatting, most Internet designers design with the F in mind, meaning a person will read partway into the first line, Skim down about a third of the way, read a little bit more, and then read, you know, just scan down the left column. It's kind of an F on how they analyze and determine if there's anything there for them. We do that, don't we? But we have to push ourselves to dig. I'll reference Proverbs 1, sorry, Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5, which simply talk about gathering wisdom and understanding, and it makes the connection that it's like going after silver or a hidden treasure. Now we go after gold the same way, it's not mentioned in that passage, but going after any precious metal or hidden treasure is, is an effort. And I've, I've had some experience with my father-in-law who loves the gold pan. He has a degree in geology and he loves studying and really digging through the research to find out where there might be gold. And living in California and sometimes ending up in Colorado, these are places famous for that and there's still quite a bit there in the riverbeds. But you have to know where to go. So he does a lot of research, checks things out. And then when we get to a spot, he pulls out his gold pan and he'll take a small amount of dirt and he'll sample it. And start to see, is this a good spot or do we need to move somewhere else? Once we find a good spot, days, weeks, in our, in our vacation time, it's just an afternoon or maybe another day. Uh, but there's a tremendous amount of time that's spent by a gold planner, uh in one area processing a huge amount of soil to come up with a very small container of gold that's extremely valuable. You know, our digging when we do research is similar. Um, We have to go beyond kind of casual reading. We have to to sort through what what we read, and it requires a focused, critical reading approach. And that's a skill that's developed. Growing up, I heard a lot about a book called How to Read a Book by Mortimer Alder, and I'll read a quote by someone who's maintained interest in this book and has written blogs about the book, and here's here's the quote. Learning something insightful requires mental work. It's uncomfortable. If it doesn't hurt, you're not learning. You need to find writers who are more knowledgeable on a particular subject than yourself, and by narrowing the gap between the author and yourself, you get smarter. Now, we have no better source and book in the world than the Bible, whose author is God. You can't lose. But how much do we dig? As Mr. Jones mentioned, we have to do so with balance, But we also, and balance meaning not too little and not too much. But even after years and years of studying and researching and exerting that mental effort, does it get uncomfortable? Do we say, well, we know that and we put it aside? Do we grow weary of our research? It's something we have to maintain, isn't it? One of the common traits I've seen in well-seasoned, well-researched individuals, whether they're professors or those who've taught in the church for many, many, many years or any any circle that I've been involved with, but those who are well-seasoned and well-researched individuals usually express an understanding that there's so much more left to learn. Uh, Some of these people will blow you away with their credentials and how much they've written, how much they've researched, but they realize even that far in, I only know so much. There's so much more out there to be learned. So our learning never stops, our digging never stops. We do it at a pace that's manageable. Again, balanced as you heard in the previous message. We know that superficial digging, if that's an issue, yields a, a problem. And you've probably run into people like this, but usually the superficial diggers are what we end up experiencing as the know-it-alls. They're very dogmatic, they're very convinced of their opinions because they only know a little bit and they know that little bit really well. Um, When I was in grad school, one of my jobs working for the dean of education was to help him out by proofreading some dissertations and I really enjoyed one that was from the educational psychology department and it took a look at dogmatic people, and they found a very strong correlation, uh, meaning a, probably a cause, that those who held really strong dogmatic opinions usually knew very little. And as I mentioned to you before, those who are well-researched, well-seasoned in, in depth in their reading and their digging were very quick to say, I simply don't know everything. There's so much more that needs to be learned. Galatians 6 gives us a principle that we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow so we know that if we plant poorly or we dig in a shallow fashion like we've talked about, we're likely to have shallow opinions. And with shallow digging or shallow research comes another subtle hazard that's similar to what I mentioned already but we can often form a, an, a, an incomplete, um, a partially correct opinion, uh, but it's, it's incomplete. It needs more material. Uh, it can be an error even if you have a small amount and don't consider the full breadth of the subject. It can be skewed. And again, the way to remedy that is, as we've been talking about so far, is to dig. Dig make sure that you are constantly reading and there and listening. There's so much material available with sermons and online material. Uh, There's plenty to dig for. So when you consider the digging, how broad is your education? And I'm not talking about schooling. I'm talking about your spiritual education, spiritual matters, things that are, that are truly important. How much time do you spend searching now? You can factor in your age. And if you're younger, don't be discouraged that you're, and it's not the point to compare yourself with older members. They've had more time to gather. They're going to know some things, and things come to mind much quicker than if you're younger because they've had more time to spend at it. Turn with me to Titus 2. We'll start in verse 3. Titus 2 and verse 3, sorry, we'll start in verse 1, Titus 2, starting in verse 1, and he's saying to Titus, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith and love and in patience the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, and teachers of good things. And then it goes on to describe in verses 4 through 8 what is tra- taught, which is truth. You know, what there's, what's being said here in Titus is that these older individuals have shown by their conduct that they've gathered and they've dug and they've built wisdom and they're ready to pass it on. They show that they can be trusted as a sound and good source for these things. Think of it in this terms. It's a quote that I've, I've heard often. Some get older and wiser, and some just get older. It's important for us, isn't it, to distinguish between the two. So the first point being, it's important for us to dig. Secondly, belief, when you get right down to it, is a matter of trust. It's a matter of trust. So, who do you trust? Now, if we just simply look at how the word is used biblically and how it's been defined and used through history, here are two options an, accept- an acceptance that a statement is true or that something exists. Secondly, trust, faith, or confidence. And someone or something. Now, I found it interesting, and you just heard it in that last one, that there were a number of sources uh, that had a difficult time distinguishing between belief and faith. Uh, We're going to talk more about that towards the end, but we're focusing just on belief at the moment. So again, it's a matter of trust. So... When it comes down to that, who do you trust with your mind and your heart? Do we think of it in those terms when we're listening to programs, when we're reading material? Do we understand that it has an impact on us and it affects our beliefs? Who do we trust with our mind and our heart? Who do you trust to deliver the truth? And who do you let shape who you are and how you think? Again, we have to consider what goes in and where it comes from. There's an old programmer's axiom that says garbage in, garbage out. And what goes in affects and forms our beliefs. How careful are we to protect the soundness of our beliefs and what we allow into our minds? We know as a primary premise in our culture that Darwin is the one that's trusted, God is not. It's greatly impacted everything in our culture today. Everything's relative. There there are no universals. There is no one-size-fits-all truth. Capital T, as one of my professors used to say. There is no capital T truth. It's all relative. It all depends on the person, the culture, the set of beliefs that they come with. We know as we sit here, and we have a very strong belief in God, and we have a very strong belief in His authority to set expectations for His created beings. And isn't that really what's at stake here when it comes to belief? It's reality, looking through the deception, looking through the smoke and the haze and all of the dirt that's thrown up in the air, and saying, I know what is true, I know what is real, I know why I'm here, I know where I'm headed, and I know what matters and what doesn't matter. We know who and what can be trusted. So who do you believe? Past that, who are your sources? My next point is consider your sources. When we're digging, and we've alluded to this already, but consider your sources. We teach this a lot to students and try to encourage them to really use credible sources. Um, I've had some really bad examples of the opposite, uh, and (laughs) there's some really bad conclusions that come from such things. Poor Poor sources will usually yield error in our belief. And I think many of us would agree over this past year that it has been difficult in some areas to know what is true and what isn't. And it's critical as we live our lives that we vet or we test the sources that we use and make sure that they are truly giving us sound information and truth. I appreciated Mike Bennett's article recently in the May and June Discern magazine, uh, his article about truth, and he pointed out many steps towards the end of the article that the writers and that the church takes to be a trustworthy source. He mentioned, first of all, that they try to lean on expertise, those who've served for many years as pastors and have learned from that experience, those who have taught this subject for a very long time, um, similar to what we read about in Titus, those who have shown by their conduct that they've taken in wisdom, that they have grown older and wiser and haven't just grown older. Uh, He mentioned, secondly, that we make the full attempt to base everything that we write on the Bible, which is our source of truth. And lastly, that we build trustworthiness, that we're good stewards when we write these articles, and that the goal of any publication that we put out is to eliminate the possibility of error and to build on trustworthiness. It's important that all of us critically analyze what we hear and what we read. All I have to do is to mention one word, Bereans, to you. If you're interested, that's in Acts 17, verses 10 through 15. But all I have to do is mention that name to you, and that reputation, which has been around for centuries, comes to mind. These were a people who God decided to mention in Scripture because they listened and then they took it back to the source of truth and compared it and made sure it measured up with scripture. They were critical in what they heard. They analyzed it carefully. What are a speaker's or an author's credentials when you listen to or read? What are their credentials? What's their bias? You know, it's important when you listen to someone or you read material, look between what's said. Look for where they're coming from. What positions do they hold? Oftentimes, when we read things that are produced from anywhere out in our culture, we really have to look for that and figure out what is the bias and be careful to look at uh, their arguments. Were their arguments sound? Were their conclusions accurate? Did they take the data or whatever material that they were looking into and did they process it properly? The real danger zone for many of us in this area is that we sometimes pick up our beliefs along the way. In other words, we passively gather them. It's a bit like osmosis, not the scientific aspect, but the process of gradual or unconscious assimilation of ideas and knowledge. If we've done that too much, and we've all done it, but if we've done that too much and we don't go and take a look at our beliefs and say, how many of these have I passively gathered along the way? It's a ripe territory for the seeds of doubt. In fact, for most of our kids who graduate high school and head off to college, it's one of the biggest concerns because if you look at the research of, of what happens to our general Christian community when they head to college, Is their beliefs are questioned by someone who has superior skills, who's been teaching for many many years, who's researched the subject thoroughly and can usually overwhelm them with information and many of them end up giving up on their beliefs because they were passively gathered. They didn't dig deep, they didn't prove them, they didn't hold on to them as their own and so they're in jeopardy. Matthew 7, Uh, gives us the principle of building on a rock. It's really important when we look at our sources that we build our beliefs on a firm foundation. In Matthew 7, verse 24, we read, whoever hears these sayings of mine, this is Christ speaking, whoever hears these sayings of mine, now belief is implicit here. He who hears the sayings of mine and does them, who practices them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, again, unbelief is implicit here, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So it's important for us to build our beliefs on a firm foundations and look at how we arrived at our beliefs. Some of them we end up coming to accidentally. Let me give you one illustration before we move on to the next point. I'll often, when I'm trying to convey this same idea to some of my students, to really prove why do you hold to this opinion? How did you get there? Uh, why is this important? Because... You and I both know our beliefs can be something that are very emotional and we can go toe to toe with someone over beliefs and sometimes they're over things that we really haven't proven. Um, So I'll ask them, I'll give them an analogy or a, a connection. For most of us, you have a type of music that you enjoy listening to. How did you get to that choice? You probably got there passively. You grew up in a family that exposed you to certain kinds of music that your parents liked. Or when you got to school, the friends that you were around exposed you to a certain kind of music. Or sometimes it's just a matter of time. I've grown up in between 2000 and 2020, and I've heard the music from that time period. And so I like this, these pieces that come from that time period. Compare that to someone, if I were a parent and I wanted this to be an important matter to my child, and I start them very early, and I start taking them through music of the world. We look at music from India, from China. We look at Gregorian chant. We look at classical. I could go on and on, as you, can, as you can tell, and expose them to everything, and then by the time they're 18 or 20, they decide for themselves, I like this particular kind of music. That just doesn't happen normally. I'm sure there's someone out there who's done something like that, but that's not the norm for most of us. So we've grown up, and as church kids, my wife and I were church kids, uh, growing up, you absorb some things, and you your beliefs you pick up along the way, and it's important as you go through your adult life to look back on those and put them on firm ground, not just that you picked them up from your parents, or you picked them up just showing up here at church. Now, I mentioned to you earlier there were... Well, there's two ways that we can pick up our beliefs. Um, One of those is from other sources, but we can also form beliefs, as we've alluded to here just a moment ago, on our own experiences and our own thoughts and deductions from those experiences. So it's important as we're looking at sources, the next point is, is, do you trust yourself as a source? Do you trust yourself as a source? Maybe you found yourself falling into this trap, reading sources or listening to sources that align with my already held opinions and beliefs. We do that naturally, don't we? My favorite quote that I've seen recently, don't believe everything you think. We're pretty proud of our thoughts sometimes. unless, as I mentioned earlier, our our emotions can get involved with these things. And I find it interesting as I've observed my students since the start of the use of cell phones and social media. It's given greater strength to them that their opinions are equal to anybody's. And when I say anybody, we've had discussions in class where they feel their opinions are equal to someone like Albert Einstein. Because isn't that what's going on? I can put them out there. Someone else puts theirs out there. It's a tolerant society. Everyone's entitled to my belief. Uh, My opinion's equal with everybody else. I should equally be heard to everyone else. But again, we must start with the fundamental issue here is, are we trustworthy as a source? I remember a quote that my dad, or something that my dad has said that helps keep me in check in this area. And I heard him say one time, I don't care about your opinion. And then he said, I don't care about my opinion. His statement was not a criticism of another person. If he was talking to me, it wasn't a criticism of my opinion. It was a criticism that questions your source of truth. And our opinions really don't matter when it gets down to the truth. Let me just give you a sample of scriptures that you know well. We're not going to turn to these. Romans 8 and verse 7. These are all about uh, our trustworthiness. Romans 8 and verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way that seems right to a man, man but the end of the, of the way is death. Isaiah 55, in verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, said the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then we know quite well Jeremiah 17:9. The heart, our heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So, we can elevate regard for our opinion and we can feed that with info or sources that we want to hear. Turn with me to Second Timothy 4 and verse 3. This is the itching ears passage. So we talked about are we considering ourselves a source, and do we look at our own bias? Because we all have it. What is our bias? 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3. I'm going to read this from the Contemporary English Bible. It says, There will come time when people will not tolerate sound teaching. They will collect teachers who say what they want to hear because they are self-centered or the expanded Bible says it this way, teachers who please them by saying the things that they want to hear. That's very rampant in our culture right now. We have to be cautious that we don't join that crew and do the same. We do know our tendencies though, don't we? We wanna hear what we want to hear. And there's another quote that I've enjoyed in this segment A person convinced against their will are of the same opinion still. We know as church members, and this is where I don't have the time to go deep on this particular portion, but we know as church members that one of the traits that we're encouraged to uh, grow in is teachability. Are we teachable? We're referred to as clay. Are we workable clay? God wants the best for us. We know that, we believe that, and we also know that we aren't automatically where he wants us to be. It requires work and it requires time. It is a process. So we gather, we dig, and we try to do so from trusted sources, and we try not to rely too heavily on our own opinions. What's the next step? That is prove. Prove what you believe. As I said earlier, sometimes we collect ideas and beliefs passively. It's really important to analyze those throughout your life. Find them. Root out the ones that don't have any bearing on truth. And hold on with all of your might to those that do. Back at Ambassador, we had a professor that used to talk about I used to use the statement, any old dead fish can float with the current, but it takes live fish, salmon, for instance, to really work hard against the current. We have a current all around us that wrong opinions, deception uh, are all around us. We have to fight against that current, swim against that current, and it involves personal investment on our part. When it comes to proving what you believe, it's more than just proving your actual beliefs. Yes, we do that, but I want to cover a couple areas uh, in addition to just that one. So, first of all, yes, we do prove information that we gather, and that takes conscious effort on our part. Let me reference for you 1 John 4, verses 1 through 3. This is the passage that talks about testing the spirits. I think we can read that and think that we're supposed to test the spirit as in a spirit being. I'd like to read it to you in two alternate translations that I think give a better sense of what we're doing. 1 John 4 verses one through three. This is the New Living Translation. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the spirit. You must test them to see if the spirit they, they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. And then this one's from the contemporary English version. Dear friends, don't believe everyone who claims to have the spirit of God. Test them all to find out if they really do come from God. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, again, all I have to do is mention one word here, Bereans, right? We listen, we hear from many different sources. We test those sources against the solid proof and the solid truth. In addition to the information that we have to filter and prove, God also says that he wants us to prove who he is and that he said, what he says is true. Now, this also takes conscious effort. We have a principle. Again, I won't go deep on this one, but Malachi 3, verse 10 gives us a principle. There are other places we could mention as well, but this one's very direct, where he is quoted as saying, prove me now. Or another translation says, put me to the test. So God gives us permission to take what he's given to us in his word, What his servants say, Mr. Armstrong used to say it all the time, don't believe me, go to your Bible and prove it. Don't just take what you're hearing me. I'm trying to do my best. I know that he was coming from that position to do my best to give you the truth, but don't just believe me. Go and take your Bible out and prove it. Thirdly, God proves us, doesn't he? He proves us. He wants to know what we're capable of. And he doesn't know that until he puts us through certain tests. And it's important how we respond to him. Again, I'm just going to mention a principle from a scripture, Exodus 16 and verse 44. Exodus 16 and verse 44. This is the passage where God is giving the children of Israel manna. And he states, every day the people must go out and gather what they need for that day. And he continues, I want to see if the people will do what I teach them. In other words, he's testing us, testing them, to see if they will walk in my law and instruction or not. And lastly, under this proving section, we have to prove ourselves. We have to examine ourselves, and we talked about this back pre-Passover, but it's a perpetual thing that we do. We need to prove ourselves and prove what we think and what we believe and is it sound. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. We'll, we'll read verse 31. 1 Corinthians 11. In verse 31, simple statement, you've heard it many times before, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Like I've done so far, let me read it to you in a couple of other, tra- other translations. This is from the Amplified Bible. But if we evaluated and judged ourselves honestly, recognizing our shortcomings and correcting our behavior we would not be judged. Or from the Amplified Bible, for if we searchingly examined ourselves, detecting our shortcomings and recognizing our own condition, we should not be judged and penalty decreed. So it puts on us a responsibility to look at ourselves, to look at our behavior, to look at our beliefs, to look at our opinions and prove them before God and make sure we're on firm ground. Scripture is a collection of examples and lessons of people that live long before us, people who listened to the wrong source, who did not believe, who did not trust God, who trusted in themselves. And we also have awesome examples of those who trusted God and whose belief grew into faith. So my last point is belief. The power of belief is realized as faith. There is a power in the belief that we have and that can grow and be realized as faith. If you've gathered much sorted for truth from trustworthy sources, and you've proved it. In other words, you've made it, made it your own. I've proved that this works and I know it works. What power or effect is realized once you reach that point? So we know from a statement earlier that belief and faith are not the same thing. And I think most people look at belief as something that's only a starting point. Right? We, it's the basics. It's done and we move on. When in reality, belief is something that we look at over and over and over throughout our lives. And we have little things that we've, we've assumed and are under the surface and they sneak up and we have to address them. And this will happen perpetually through our lives. So it grows and it matures and it develops. And our lives as converted members involve a constant evaluation of our beliefs. And we hold firm to truth, and we try to throw out error. So consider it like this, as a possible cycle. We start with a belief. We trust, but we don't know something for ourselves. Many of us, when we've come into the truth or learned something new, we haven't experienced it working. We can have some doubt, but we can go, okay, I know it's in the Bible. I know it's something I need to practice and I've talked to many people who when they first came into the church were in that boat. We trust that it's true. We trust the source. We know God is God. We know the Bible is his word. And we read something that we've never seen before but we don't know it for ourselves yet. We don't own it. We all start here. We move on as we've said to proving it. We come to know it for ourselves. And we own it. And we know it works. And we're driven to live it without the need of monitoring or steering. We're self directed. We know that God is watching. And then we grow to a level of faith, which is a confidence in our trust. And it translates, and here's the key point it translates that belief into action and grows to define us. Biblical faith goes beyond the mental acceptance of facts. I'd like to quote from Mr. Frank's member letter from April 8th, breaking into his comments. He writes, each Passover, I must address the same questions about who I am, what I believe, and what my relationship with others is. Of course, it isn't just on Passover that I consider these issues, since they are really never far from my thoughts. My beliefs have been strongly etched into my character, which defines who I am. Mr. Mr. Burnett spoke to us back as we were approaching the spring holy days, and I'll quote from a message that he gave shortly before Passover, which, and here's a quote, I believe God... And in faith, go forward into unknown territory, trusting in him, and I won't return to Egypt, the known and the familiar. He made the point that Israel struggled with trust and belief. Their lack of trust and and distrust led to disobedience. And he mentioned that the days of unleavened bread were for rooting out unbelief that leads to disobedience. Israel didn't enter the promised land because of unbelief. Dr. Levy also touched on this area when he was talking about Christ's continual role and how strongly do we believe in the active roles, and he, he went through each of those in that message. But he said, do, you know, do we believe this? Do we, in other words, does it affect who we are? Does it affect how we act and how we live? That's where our beliefs translate into faith. I found it interesting um, back when I was preparing this, I was also reading through uh, Hebrews and then into James. And I found it interesting that as I read through Hebrews with this topic on my mind, it was interesting to see how many times individuals were mentioned for being individuals of faith and then right after or right before that comment, it lists something that they did, how they lived, their actions. It wasn't just they had faith and it was a good feeling, it was demonstrated, and extraordinary things were demonstrated. As I went on into James, I found it interesting, I happened to be reading through a a Maxwell uh, Bible, and he had some comments leading into James, and I would like to use a couple of those quotes that he said about James, and I thought this was fitting also for what we're talking about here. So, as a lead-in to the book of James, he says, It contains a ringing call for action, a plea for vital Christianity, and a faith that demonstrates itself not in mere words, but in lifestyle. James teaches that faith without corresponding action is dead. Another one. God calls us to translate our faith into obedience. The more you walk, the less you have to talk. And integrity occurs when words and actions match. You know, the power of belief is in faith. We live our beliefs. We can see that they work. And if we believe and we're living it, this is exactly what we're called to be as living examples. So as we've looked at belief today, if you dig, you dig deeply and you dig consistently. If you use trusted sources, If you're skeptical of yourself and prove yourself, if you prove all that you hold on to, and these end up defining you and the way you live, those who see you won't have to ask, are you a believer?